So I'm Judith, and, um, and it's really good to, to be with you and to, to start off our new preaching series this week. Um, it's really exciting. Um, it's our preaching series is going to be all about signs and sayings. And um, it's seven signs and seven sayings, which means it's about 14 and um, preachers, and which will take us into the new year. We will have some breaks in between. We'll have Christmas and, and other things. But there are, it's, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be an amazing series. And so I know there's a lot of weeks involved in this. And, um, and I would really encourage you not to miss it because it is going to be excellent, absolutely excellent. The seven signs and the seven sayings are all found in John's gospel. So we'll be focusing on John's gospel. So it might be that you, that you want to spend a bit of time reading John over the next few weeks as we're going through it, just to get yourself um, re-familiarizing yourself on that. Um, in the gospel of John, you won't find um, parables or um, long teachings from Jesus or anything like that. Um, um, it's a little bit different to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So, so if you read it, there's there's something about that that's different to the other gospels, and 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 the reason is is because um, John's focus is all about the person Jesus. Jesus, um, John wants you to get to know Jesus as a person. So when John wrote this book, he was actually thinking about people who are not Christians, people who perhaps weren't Jews, maybe they were Gentiles, people who had no religious background. And so, so he wrote John specifically for them. So you won't see um, so like you won't see like the parables like you do in the other gospels, but you will see a lot of imagery and metaphors. What John wanted to do was um, to, to, for you to find who Jesus really is. He wanted you to know Jesus personally for yourself. So, so when you read through John's gospel, you get more of a conversation that Jesus will have with people. You'll read it and you'll, you'll see actually Jesus getting alongside people. And, and John's telling you this description of how Jesus is having this conversation with somebody. And, and you get more of the conversation of what's going on there. And, and it's actually a really lovely gospel. You get to see um, an aspect of Jesus, of his heart, as he connects with people. So, the, so these, the seven sayings will be in the second part of um, the series. And the second say, sayings are the I am sayings, the I am sayings of Jesus. I am is a very significant expression in the Bible, the way that God chooses to reveal himself. So we know when you read the Old Testament, when God says, I am, and well, in, in God's, John's gospel, we see a lot of Jesus saying, I am. And so we're going to look at that so that we can get to know who Jesus is, who Jesus is through God. Um, but we are going to start with the seven signs. Um, the theologian, Tom Wright, describes the book of John as being like a treasure hunt. He says the signs are like clues, each one directing us to the next clue of who Jesus is leading us on a journey to discover the treasure that is Jesus. Have you ever been on a treasure hunt? There's something really exciting about being on a treasure hunt. I know when um, I first started, many, many years, I came as a student to this church, 
And, um, and I once, I did um, a treasure hunt for the youth here, and it went down an absolute storm, so that almost every time that I was on youth, they always wanted a treasure hunt. It was so exciting, and I loved it. There's something about treasure hunt that's so exciting, that's captivating, that's, that gets you involved, and everyone gets involved. There's something about finding a clue and, and discovering what it means so that you can go to the next clue to discover what that means. And, and as you're getting drunk, Closer and closer to the treasure, it's like really exciting because you know that there's a treasure to be found. There's something really exciting. You know, like, like, if, like all the, like, the best stories and programs and films are all about a quest or going on a, a mission to discover something, maybe an investigation or, or something. It's all about discovering what it is that, that we're trying to get to. And different clues along the way helps us. So John explained it like this in, he, in the end of the, um, John's Gospel. In John chapter 20, John um, says this. Well, Jesus says this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is saying here that, that there were so many signs that Jesus did, so many that he, didn't, he wasn't able to write them all down, but he did pick out some because these are the ones that really show us who Jesus is. These are the ones that point us to somebody who we know and want to get to know even more. And he's picked out these signs, and, and these are the seven signs that we're going to go through over the next few weeks. Our hope and prayer for this series is that by studying these signs and sayings, we will be strengthened in our faith, know Jesus better, and experience a greater dimension of God's life in our lives. Now, isn't that exciting? Isn't that wonderful to be able to discover more of who Jesus is? To go from clue to clue, from sign to sign, discovering more of him and impacting our lives and, and our lives being transformed through that. I'm excited about this series. I hope you will have too. So let's start with the first sign. And let's turn to John chapter 2, 1 to 11. And this is where Jesus changes water into wine. So the first sign, Jesus changes water into wine. John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place in Canaan, in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother <coughs> said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to, his servant, to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that they had been turned, 
that they had um, been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This was the first sign of Jesus that revealed Jesus' glory. The first sign that gives us a glimpse of heaven. Those who were with Jesus at the wedding got a taste of heaven. Turning water into wine was heaven's reality coming here on earth. A revealing of the glory of Jesus, the the glory that Jesus has in heaven. Now, later on in John's Gospel, Jesus tells us that God the Father had given him glory. Jesus wanted us to know that, that he had glory. Jesus wanted us to know that he was sent from heaven to us here on earth. He wants us all to know that. He has been sent from heaven to her so that heaven can meet earth. The moment when Jesus turned water into wine was a sign of heaven coming to earth. God has always intended that we should bring heaven to earth. So the way that Jesus brought heaven to earth as a sign and showing us and displaying that he was once in heaven as he was the son of God and he became human in flesh and blood and came to earth, he brought heaven to earth. And him turning that water into wine was a display of something of heaven that he was wanting to reveal to all people, of something amazing and transformational. Now, when we make certain choices because we are wanting to live in obedience to God, we are bringing heaven to earth. When we pray for people and they experience something of God, we are bringing heaven to earth. When we're kind and faithful, patient, forgiving, humble, because of the transforming work of Jesus and his kingdom rule in our lives, we are bringing heaven to earth. God's original intention for us was to bring heaven to earth. I don't know how many more times I can say that, heaven to earth. (laughs) I feel like I'm saying it a lot, but the point is This is what Jesus, these are the signs that we're pointing, the signs that Jesus were pointing to was heaven being brought to earth. And that was God's plan and intention for us to bring heaven to earth. And this is what Jesus wants to restore. Jesus wants you and me to be restored. Everything went wrong when we decided to live our own lives and we, we stepped out of relationship with God and we weren't living in the way of bringing, show, revealing the kingdom of God by the way that we were living our lives in relationship with him. And Jesus wanted to restore that. Jesus wants you and me to be restored into a right relationship with him, allowing his kingdom rule in our lives. When we live in obedience to God's plan and purposes, God's kingdom rule is expressed through our lives, and we get to partner with Jesus, bringing 
heaven to earth. Just look for a moment at these next few verses. Um, there's a passage um, at the um, end of John 1. So in John chapter 1, so this came before turning water into wine. Then Nathanael <clears throat> declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see even greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Nathaniel had been amazed that Jesus saw him under the fig tree without actually physically being there and seeing him under that tree. And Nathaniel was actually really, really amazed. And Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, you believe that I'm the son of God just because I saw you under the fig tree and not there? Jesus is saying, you are actually going to see greater things than these. You are going to see the heaven and angels descending from heaven and earth. And this is like a picture that, that we can read about in the Old Testament when Jacob had this dream and he was lying there fast asleep and he saw a ladder. And we hear about it. It's called Jacob's Ladder in the Old Testament. And we see um, angels descending from um, heaven to earth. And this is a picture of heaven's reality coming down to earth. This is a picture of the earth being connected to heaven and seeing things that are outworked in heaven come true to us on earth. And Jesus is saying, you believe that I saw you under that fig tree, but do you know what? You're going to see even greater things than these. And the next thing he sees was the sign of Jesus turning water into wine, heaven coming to earth. The seven signs in John's gospel that we will get to hear about in the next few weeks will all point us to Jesus opening up heaven for us. They will all point us to ways in which Jesus himself is heaven come to earth. He is sent by his Father in heaven and he brings the realities of heaven into our world. Now, if we can't be excited about anything, surely we can be excited about that. Heaven's realities here on earth as we live out our lives, as we do the things that we do in our connection and our love and our relationship with Jesus. We can bring out all of heaven's realities here. What does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? And hopefully over the next few weeks we'll see what that looks like more and more. So the idea of Jesus being sent is a major theme of John's gospel. Not only does Jesus bring heaven to earth, but he opens heaven up to us. He calls us to experience heaven's realities. And then having been touched by heaven ourselves, having experienced something of heaven ourselves, he then sends us into this world to take that there with us into this world. Knowing you're touched by heaven when you're encouraged, when you're blessed, when Jesus, when you encounter Jesus and he heals your heart and touches your soul and heals your body, heaven has touched you. The kingdom of God has touched you. And these are heaven's realities that we can take into the world when we're connecting with people, when we're touching people's lives. We can pray for the sick. We can pray for the hopeless. 
We can touch people's lives with our own lives because we've been touched by heaven and we have been sent here to help people to see who God is. Our lives then become a sign of who Jesus is. So going back to this particular sign in John 2, what does the turning of water into wine show us about the glory of God in Jesus? What does it tell us about the way that Jesus brings heaven to earth? Well, first let's notice that one of John's clues that was that Jesus' mother is there. And the only other time that John mentions Jesus' mother is at the crucifixion. So I don't know if you remember in verse 11 of chapter 2 of John, um, Jesus says to his mother, he says, um, says, woman, why are you um, um, concerning me about this? My time has not yet come. I always smile when I read that bit, when Jesus says, woman, why, do you dis- why are you concerning me? I was talking about it with my son, and he says, is it okay if I call you woman then? <laughs> I was like, right, okay. <laughs> always makes me laugh at this. Anyway. But if we flip, and if we flip for the passages of John, and we go to chapter 17, we read there, just as Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, and he's just about to be crucified, he says, Father, the hour has come. So this sign where Jesus turns water into wine is pointing us towards what Jesus will accomplish at the cross, bringing heaven to earth. And this makes sense when we consider that wine has already been used in the Old Testament as a symbol of the covenant relationship that God wants us to enjoy. So if we go to Isaiah 25, verse 6. God wants his people to enjoy a covenant relationship with him. In Isaiah 25, verse 6, it says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. There's something about banquets and feasting and celebrating together that connects people, binds people together. Amos in 9, 13 and 14. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills and I will bring my people back from Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. New wine dripping from the hills, flowing from the mountains. These are all promises of fruitfulness, abundance, safety, security, feasting, celebration. Wine was also a prophetic image of the blood that would be shed to cleanse God's people and bring them into a wonderful new covenant relationship. So in Genesis 49, verse 10 and 11, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch, He will wash his garments in wine, 
his robes in the blood of grapes. You know, remember when Jesus shared the last supper with his disciples and he took the cup and, of the wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant, my blood, which has been poured out for you. So wine speaks to us of the fullness of life that is found in covenant relationship with God. Covenant is a binding and unfailing relationship where each party is devoted to the other in love. And Jesus is doing that with us. That's what his wine represents. Unfailing relationship, devoted with love. Jesus is about to make this kind of relationship with God possible for us through his death on the cross. Or he has already made this kind of relationship possible because of his death on the cross. A binding relationship of love, forgiveness, and acceptance. Notice that the water jars that um, Jesus told them to fill were um, purification jars for ceremonial washing. The wine that gladdens our hearts and brings us life is wine that cleanses us, that purifies us, makes us clean. At the wedding, it gets to a point where there is no more wine. Can you imagine the embarrassment of that? Can you imagine what that must feel like for the family, for the bridegroom and bride and all their families? This would have been a real embarrassment in those days to not be able to provide for all your guests. All your guests have come out to feast at this wedding and you've run out of wine. It would have brought shame on the family. You know, outside of a relationship with God, we can experience all kinds of shame in our lives. Perhaps it's something that we've done. Perhaps it's because of something we've experienced. Perhaps it's maybe it's because of the trauma that we've suffered. Perhaps because we feel that we're not like everybody else. We can all, shame can come to us for all kinds of reasons and for all different kinds of circumstances. But God wants to take away your shame. You know, when we put our faith in Jesus, there is no more shame. He wants to bring his fullness of life in him that leaves no room for shame. I know exactly how much, I don't know exactly how much Mary knew at this point about what would happen next. But it seems that she knew that in one way or another, Jesus is the answer to our shame. Mary says, do whatever he tells you to do. It's as if Mary was saying to the servants, if you do whatever Jesus tells you to do, then you will not be put to shame. Which reminds me of a verse in Romans 10 where it says, as scripture says, in Romans 10 verse 11, and scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Isn't that beautiful? Mary knew something of Jesus. The shame, the shame, the embarrassment of not having enough wine to feed the guests. And Jesus is, Mary is saying, listen to Jesus. If you put your faith in Jesus, you won't feel that shame. 
when we put our faith in Jesus, he brings us out of the shadows, out of the hiding and the secrecy, and brings us into a fullness of life where we can hold our heads up high. Jesus himself said that he came that we might have life and have it to the full. And that's why this wine that Jesus produced out of water was actually better than what we had before. Water into wine points us to Jesus making a covenant relationship with us, being washed clean and being rescued from shame and then given life in all its fullness. There was an old covenant that that God had made with the Jewish people, but it was only ever a shadow of what was to come. It was only ever to to point us to, actually, there's something more exciting to come. There's something better to come. They would prophesy that this wine would bring joy, bring life everlasting. Don't you think it's interesting? I find this really interesting. I hope you do. But when you start reading this passage in John 2, it starts with, on the third day, It says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana. The miracle of the water into wine took place on the third day in Cana. Now, I think John is trying to give us another clue here about something of what the water into wine is pointing to. What else do we remember about the third day? Jesus was rose from, risen from the dead, wasn't he? And, and that was like um, the beginning of a new wine was being poured out from heaven. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, when he rose again on the third day, it opened heaven up to us. The new wine was flowing from heaven, where we could be filled with the power of God the Spirit of God. We were touched by heaven, by the Holy Spirit. And now we are being sent into the world, touched by heaven, to bring heaven here on earth. This wedding symbolizes God's own wedding feast, where we get to feast on the abundance of God's goodness. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. It's Jesus who makes relationship with God possible in a way that all the heroes of the Old Testament longed for. The wine is better now. We get to experience something that the Old Testament prophets only could dream about. You have saved the best for now. Today we have Jesus, whose life was poured out for us to give us the opportunity to enter into a relationship with God. The best is here and now, and his name is Jesus. The glory of Jesus is that he has the life of God in him, and that now he has made that available to us. How can we experience this life of God in our lives? How can you experience the life of God in your life? How can we experience heaven breaking into our world? How can you experience heaven breaking into our world? Simple. Is it simple? Maybe it is. Maybe it's difficult. 
But the simple answer is, do what he tells you to do. Live in obedience to him. Find out what he would have you do. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about? You know, when we believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Son of God, he comes and lives with us. He comes and fills us with his Spirit. It's at this point that we are saved and we will never be put to shame. You know, we will continue to experience heaven breaking into our world when we choose to live our lives in obedience to him. To follow Jesus is to enter into God's life. When we make that simple... When we say to Jesus, I want to make this simple, I want to live in obedience to you. I want your Holy Spirit to help me to live the way that you want me to do. We get to be a part of a kingdom that lasts forever. We get to be partners with Jesus bringing heaven to earth. You know, it is simple. You know, sometimes we make things harder than what it actually is. When we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, he works through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. All we have to do is surrender ourselves to him, make him the king of our lives, and then we enter into the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus powerfully transformed the water into new wine. And it is with that same power that he was raised from the dead. And that same power that, that he changed water into wine and raised from the dead, he uses that power to transform your life. That power comes and lives in you, in the person of the Holy Spirit, to transform your lives. And through your transformed life, we will see heaven break into, into our world in ways that point to that time when the earth will be fully transformed into something better. So let's keep coming to Jesus and drink from him. Let him fill you again and again, reminding you of his goodness and his faithfulness. Allowing him to transform your heart and lives. I've got some questions that I'd like you to, to think about. I've got three questions. And um, the first question is, if you want to put it up. If you want to take a picture of this, because I think I've got three I'm going to put up, three different slides. If you take a photo of this, and then you can take it away and think about it. And maybe you can talk about it in your connect group. But maybe it's, it, I think it'd be just something just to, to be able to think about it in the week of like, of um, what this means to you. It's, if covenant is a binding and unfailing relationship where both parties are devoted to each other in love, what does it mean for me to live in covenant relationship with God? What difference does this new wine make to my life?
This is serious stuff. But it's exciting. This is Jesus inviting you to come on a treasure hunt with him. A great adventure. Right, the next question. Jesus replaces our shame with life to the full. What does this mean to you? Are there still aspects of shame that you need to let go of? Are there still aspects of life in Jesus that you long to experience? Maybe this will provoke you to, to pray about and talk to Jesus, what that, it means to you. Maybe there's, there's something that you've not experienced yet that God has got for you. And the last question. Mary told the servants to do whatever Jesus told them. What is Jesus telling you? So over the next few weeks, we're going to go on this exciting adventure together, discover more of who Jesus is. Jesus wants to know you personally. He wants to work in your life. He wants you to have an amazing relationship with him. So let this be the beginning of something fresh and new and dynamic. If you want to just stand or position yourself, I'm going to just pray over us as we end. <clears throat> Father God, I just want to just thank you for your promise being fulfilled in Jesus to bring heaven on earth. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that you work in each of our hearts and lives. You transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. You touch our heart and lives and you send us back into this world to touch people around us with heaven's reality of love and joy and peace and kindness, healing. Lord God, I thank you, Lord God, that in your presence, Lord God, we can know such abundance and life and joy. And Lord, I just pray that you would just pour out more of that in each of our lives today. And I pray, Lord God, as we go from here and we look at those questions and think about those questions, I think about who you are to us. The Holy Spirit, that you will speak to each and every person in a fresh and new way. That you will reveal yourself to each one of us. That you will open the eyes of our heart to know you more deeply, Lord Jesus. 
I thank you, Lord God. Amen.